pray with me? God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I didn't say anything last week about the images we're using in this season for our bulletin covers and on the screen. But even though I didn't say anything, there were just a couple of unusually observant folks who wondered whether there was meaning to last week's image. Was it really a picture of something? Of what? When would we find out? I'll give you a hint. Last week's image and this week's image are pictures of the exact same thing. Here's last week's image again. And then back to this week's. These are pictures of the same thing. You just can't tell what it is. Not yet. But if you have kids, you might want to take this week's bulletin cover and do some wondering together about whether you think you see anything in it that you can recognize. Our Advent scripture readings are a little bit like that. Our Advent scriptures remind us that we are anticipating the coming of the Christ who ushers in the kingdom of God. But the picture of what that looks like is still not clear. Looking from one to the other of our readings for this morning could give you whiplash. On the one hand, we have the prophet Zephaniah in a rare moment of exultant joy, rare for him. Zephaniah tells us to sing and rejoice and exult with all our hearts. Zephaniah tells us that God is in our midst. God, feeling God's own rejoicing and gladness and exultation. God will renew us in God's love. On the other hand, we have John the Baptist, fairly yelling at us. You brood of vipers, he says, and tells us that God's wrath is coming. You couldn't get a more mixed message than putting John's and Zephaniah's messages side by side. I mentioned last week that Advent is a season filled with tension and paradox. I mentioned last week that the scriptures on the Sundays early in Advent are harsh, difficult texts. And here we have it again. The tension between joy and anxiety. The tension between God's gladness and love and God's wrath. Here we have it again. The paradox of not yet knowing how Christ comes or how the kingdom of God comes, and yet being given a glimpse of what that looks like. Surprisingly, John the Baptist helps us just begin to resolve these tensions. We are in Advent. We are looking forward to celebrating and remembering Jesus' birth at Christmas. But the Advent scriptures remind us that we are also looking forward to the ways Jesus comes to us again. The Advent scripture readings frame this picture of Jesus coming again in terms of the coming kingdom of God. We Christians call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And for us as Christians, this Christness goes beyond the historical period of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Seeing Jesus as Christ means at least in part that we see Jesus as the one who still today shows us how to live in covenant with God and in community with one another. More specifically, Jesus shows us a picture of community marked by love and justice. This kind of life, 
life lived in covenant with God and in community marked by love and justice. This kind of life is what Jesus described as the kingdom of God. We might call it the kingdom of God or the reign or realm of God. Whatever we call it, it is at the center of what we await and anticipate in Advent. Advent scriptures are difficult because they demand that we anticipate God's reign. The scriptures demand that we anticipate the coming Christ. And though John's words today sound harsh, they help give us a picture of how we might go about this anticipation, what we might do to welcome or usher in the kingdom of God. John's central cry is for repentance. Repentance is dramatic stuff, as John saw it. In his context, repentance meant a fundamental reorientation of the way a person thinks about the world. It means a radical revisioning of how we see life. So this is what John asks of us. But that leaves us asking ourselves how we might change our orientation to life, how we might do this repentance thing. Or, if we ask the question the way people asked John at that time, we might ask, what should we do? In spite of the fire and brimstone tone of John's introduction, and in spite of the dramatic change that goes along with repentance, it turns out that when the rubber meets the road, John's advice is pretty direct, pretty concrete. There's something worth remembering about Luke's gospel, or about the one who wrote it. This writer wrote two books in our New Testament, the Gospel that carries Luke's name, and also the Book of Acts. This means that this writer continued to wrestle with the meaning of Jesus' life and teachings, Jesus' death and resurrection, for years after the resurrection. This makes this Luke writer different from our other Gospel writers. Mark gives us nothing after the resurrection. Matthew gives us one brief scene where Jesus commissions his disciples. John gives us three or four occasions when the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples. But only Luke continues on after the resurrected Jesus is no longer walking around as an individual in our midst. Only Luke continues on for an entire book exploring the everyday life of the early Christian church. Only Luke explores the ways that Christians tried to put their faith into practice on an ongoing basis, as we try to do today. Why is that important? It's important for putting John the Baptist's call to repentance into perspective. John wants us to entirely reorient our lives according to what we have seen in Jesus the Christ. But for as dramatic as that sounds, this is something we do rather simply, in the midst of ordinary lives, in the ordinary context of our world. It reminds me of the book title, which you may have seen, After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. I wouldn't call John's repentance, call to repentance ecstatic, but it certainly is dramatic, an invitation to dramatic change that stands apart from the ordinariness of our lives. And we do have a pretty ecstatic picture from Zephaniah, with its singing and shouting and rejoicing and exultation. And yet, after the ecstasy, the laundry. We are called to rejoice in God's coming among us. 
we are called to repentance, to a radical reorientation of our worldview and lives. But after that, it turns out that we mostly keep putting one foot in front of the other. John the Baptist proclaims that the kingdom of God is coming, that the Messiah is coming. If we believe him, and if we care about how we can be a part of God's work, we ask the question, what should we do? And John answers. John tells us about putting conviction and faith and hope into practice. We put one foot in front of another, but not just in any old way. There are particular ways to approach daily life that are characteristic of the kingdom of God. John says, if you have two coats, share with anyone who doesn't have a coat. If you have food, share with someone who doesn't. Don't take money from people unfairly. Be satisfied with a modest lifestyle. Don't abuse whatever power you have. Don't exploit others. Everything John says is about justice, and this informs our own Advent preparations for the reign of God. Preparing needs to happen in our hearts and in our souls, but John makes it clear that we also prepare through our actions. I've already said that Luke's gospel, which we focus on this year in the Christian cycle, stands out by having a longer view of the Christian life and the Christian community after Jesus' resurrection. Luke's gospel also stands out among the four Christian gospels as the gospel most concerned with God's care for the poor. Luke is the writer most concerned with how a faithful person is to deal with wealth and material possessions. Matthew's gospel contains the same story we heard today, this same story with John the Baptist preaching repentance, calling us all a brood of vipers, but John's instructions to share our coat and our food and our money are only found in Luke's gospel. These instructions are entirely absent from Matthew's gospel. And in the spirit of John's instruction, and as you heard during our announcement time this morning, today this church begins our first week of hosting the Interfaith Rotating Winter Shelter for this year. Because we anticipate the reign of God when every person has a warm, dry place to sleep, where every person has a roof over their head. We will do our small and tangible part to usher in the reign of God that we are looking for in this season. We host the Interfaith Rotating Winter Shelter, and this is just one of the ways that we work together and look forward to God's arrival in our midst. In this holiday season, so many of us give a lot of energy to gift-giving, and many of you have already joined in including people you don't know in your gift-giving. Many of you have already selected an ornament, as Jim Cramer was talking about this morning, from one of our projects to provide gifts for families in need, because we anticipate the reign of God when there will be no gap between families who have plenty and those who go without. Perhaps John the Baptist's instructions to us today would sound like this. Whoever has a home must share shelter with those who have none. And whoever gives Christmas gifts must also give to those who have none. The reign of God that we anticipate is the reign of justice. And we usher in that reign through practices of justice ourselves. We are in a time of waiting 
and anticipation. We are in a time of not yet knowing quite how God comes to us, or quite what the reign of God stuff means. I feel like I have no idea what God might do, or how. But through scripture and Christian tradition, I feel like I do have some clues about how I would recognize God's presence in our midst, God's work among us, how I would recognize the coming kingdom. I see a glimpse of the kingdom of God when I see the person with two coats give one away. I see a glimpse of the kingdom of God when I see the doors of the church opened to house those who don't have shelter. We know and we don't know. We know that generosity is kingdom behavior. We don't see the full picture of what will emerge. Not yet. The picture is not clear, and yet even without a full picture, we see glimpses of something recognizable. We begin to know what we should do. Later in the season, we'll begin to hear about Bethlehem. We'll hear about it toward the end of Advent and on Christmas Eve. We already hear about it in the Christmas carols that are playing everywhere we go. But for this morning, let's forget about Bethlehem. Let's look for God to arrive in Davis. Amen.